Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC. Today, uh, latest in our weekly update series. We all recovered and uh, have returned from New York City and are uh, live, if you will, broadcast from up there in the, the massive, massive Javits Center, Expo Center, as part of the National Retail Federation or the NRF's big show. And uh, so I want to welcome my counterparts, uh, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Mean, and our producer, Diego Rodriguez, uh, today on this uh, cloudy, cold Tuesday and um, in Gainesville. And uh, let's go ahead and kind of dig in a little bit and talk about um, what what we saw and heard there, maybe some of the reflections coming out of uh, the big show, what's going on uh, in the United States, what's going on globally with retail. Uh, I'll spend just a minute on the, the COVID-19. Um, I got tested, the rapid test that they gave out at the show um, uh, on that Thursday when I returned and then through the University of Florida, got my weekly test on Friday, both negative. So um, who knows, as of this minute, I've still escaped. But um, I know that people that I met with up there did come down with COVID. Um, and so it, it's still everywhere, but appears to be waning. The levels continue to go down. <clears throat> they do comparisons year on year and so on of reported infections, which we know is 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 way underreported uh, typically. And then, of course, uh, reported deaths, which is just dramatically, dramatically down as a rate of infection. So those are really good, exciting things. Um, talk a little bit about um, there's a, a new vaccine being tested that's come out of India where I believe it has approval. They're looking at it. But the idea here is that <clears throat> this one is designed to expose uh, a person in a more uh, natural way, like natural infections, so that the body's immune responses um, are exposed to the total virus. Um, as we know, the mRNA vaccines that have been so highly effective in preventing serious disease, um, not infection uh, or transmissibility necessarily, <clears throat> are, are designed to pick up or train, train the body's immune system to recognize very specific uh, parts of protein, the spike protein, so, um, or in some cases, the entire spike protein. So it'll be interesting to see um, a lot of new emerging studies on uh, somebody that has had Omicron and has been uh, two or three doses of vaccine um, that they are they are exhibiting a very, very broad response. And again, looking at the short-term uh, antibody response in the mouth uh, or in that that uh, nasal area, and then there's the more the body antibody response and farther down, I guess, in the respiratory system, and then looks like these B and T cells, that cellular response. So trying to look at what's the most effective, what combinations, what generates what, 
and, and, and critically what provides the most durable protection over time so that everybody can move on. Uh, and if they get something like a lot of the colds, they're, they're very minor and just don't last very long. So, you know, the, all that's pretty interesting to take a look at. Right now, we know that um, there have been United States, 64% um, of the population have been, you know, what they're calling right now, fully vaccinated with two doses at least. Um, in other words, um, well over 210, 12 million Americans worldwide. Uh, incredible progress to, considering the, the sheer number of hum, humans that we've got on the globe. 53% now fully vaccinated, if you will, or current. Uh, which is just over 4.2 billion humans that have been vaccinated. So, you know, we can see uh, a massive amount of vaccination that's occurred. Um, and hopefully all this, the cumulative effect is helping people get on with their lives to a certain extent and reduce the incredible uh, nightmarish pressure on the healthcare systems, the healthcare workers that have been dealing with this situation. And then a lot of studies I was looking at where just uh, the numbers where we saw a complete flip evidently from those admitted to hospital with versus for COVID-19 disease. So, um, you know, that's uh, these are huge reversals in part because uh, it looks like the new strain, this Omicron, is much, much less virulent or, or serious. Um, and, and then again, just such a high amount of humans that have been vaccinated so that their immune systems are ready to go when they were uh, fully exposed. So, um, that's kind of it, uh, it on that vaccine front. A uh, whole lot to go. I have probably 50 other things, but I think um, we want to move over a little bit. And I want to mention that we're having some pretty powerful in, uh, visitors that have been coming through our labs and, and conducting safe visits with all the HEPA filters and the doors open and people that are that would like to mask and everybody vaccinated and all these things, protocols in place. Um, so we can just keep moving here. But uh, we just were uh, delighted to have the public supermarkets top team in here yesterday, as a matter of fact, on Monday. Um, and again, recently, the CBS VP and his team. Um, and then this just continues to add to the list of JCPenney and um, Walmart and Amazon and other uh, you know, retail leaders that have come in here to brainstorm with us as they put their strategies together, as they test specific things. So pretty excited about these visits. Um, we're moving forward, <clears throat> continually putting more technologies. We've talked about now we're just about 180 technologies in the LPRC engagement lab, which is a simulated lab environment uh, that we've got. Remember, we've got five physical labs, the SOC or security operations center lab, a command center lab. We've got the uh, ideation lab designed for human-centered design thinking. In other words, brainstorming. Uh, it's a super cool place. And there, the sim or simulation lab uh, where we can portray uh, surround sound and imagery at near life size uh, so we can look at indoor and outdoor environments but test options. Um, we've got the uh, activation lab where we can work on uh, uh, AI type solutions um, and work on more computer-based digital options. And then uh, we've also got the um, VR lab and then part of the parking lot lab as well. And then finally, of course, with Safer Places lab for the University of Florida, it's the entire block that we've got. So a lot going on and uh, new technologies inside and out. Uh, we met in New York with quite a few security technology companies. We've already heard back from a couple 
um, they're pretty much pull out the catalog, show us what you would like, and then we'll help you get that installed and integrated. So um, it's pretty amazing what's taking place here uh, across the scale. Uh, recently, I've been working on two fronts, one being the um, smart place or smart store um, connected place concept and integrating all these different AI technologies because of the camera infrastructure. And the camera infrastructure, while we may be uh, totally saturated in a good way, um, we're trying to set everything up so it's more natural and cost effective in the real world environment where uh, a retailer needs to scale and be cost effective in that way. Um, but but linking the camera infrastructure with different types of AI technology, we're getting ready to put LiDAR inside as well to act as another powerful sensor. Um, and then hooking that in with some audio connection type technologies. Um, and then further with screens and different smart screens, uh, creating this total connected environment. Um, we've got four different types of body-worn cameras. Um, and so it, it, the list goes on and on of what's going on there. Another big initiative to pull this together is what we're calling and uh, taking this from uh, category management and retail or Catman, and that is dividing into five or six categories front end. We've got parking lot, we've got front end, we've got center store, we've got back, uh, back room, and then we've got receiving area. And so what are the solutions? The receiving area also includes uh, supply chain distribution or fulfillment centers, but looking at what are all the cluster of technologies in those areas, how do we best integrate those and display or, or demo or demonstrate what we're trying to get done. Um, and so that's uh, an exciting prospect of what we're working on right now. And with uh, 87 technology companies that are members of the LPRC, we call them SPs or solution partners, um, pulling all that together and demonstrating. And, and by the way, we've got a lot of digital solutions like Agilence and many, many others that are not tangible, observable, physical um, solution sets. And so working on uh, a way with that category to best portray and demonstrate and integrate the power and, and the capability, as well as the transition to make all of these technologies much, much more user friendly for that decision maker and not overwhelm them. We don't want that overload. So what I'll do now, if I could, let me turn over to Tony D'Onofrio and update two, by the way, we made the call yesterday, uh, LPRC Ignite, the Ignite Conference is normally our winter planning meeting for our board of advisors. Um, it's expanded a little bit to include the LPRC Innovate Advisory Panel, those, those that are involved in advising us on and helping us shape an amazing uh, capability here for innovation of current repurposing and new um, technologies and solutions. Um, also now expand a little bit so that some of the working group uh, leaders and then others will be coming in. We're going to go ahead and go forward with that in a very physical way, but also accommodate some of the safety measures. We're going to have a lot of it outside. Um, we've got a cool way to do that. And uh, that will be February 15th and 16th. So if you're an LPRC member, um, you're on the advisory panel, the board of advisors, another leadership position, or you're playing a role in some of these initiatives, then uh, you'll be hearing from us if you haven't already. Uh, Diego's put together a pretty uh, neat agenda and um, invite. So stay tuned for that and more. And now I'll go over to you, Tony D'Onofrio, if I might, and let's uh, tap into your wisdom and observations.
Thank you very much, Reed. And again, great update and great work really in New York. I heard there was uh, extremely packed. Unfortunately, I couldn't attend, but I we have people from my company there and uh, they were very complimentary of the event in New York. I also did not get COVID. I feel great so far, So, but uh, you never know because exactly what's going on. So it's good to be back from NRF and I will cover a little bit of what I saw at NRF, but let me start uh, this week with a survey that was just published in January 2022 uh, of uh, 1,000 plus online shopping consumers that was conducted by Digital Commerce 360 and BizRate on what happened in the 2021 holiday season. So how did it, how did consumers actually shop? So the first question is, where did consumers shop compared to 2020? And again, you see the power of Amazon, 61% shopped on Amazon, 51% in general shopped online and 30% shopped in online marketplaces other than Amazon. 62% did run into inventory issues with 37% on some products and 30% and 25% on many products. But shoppers adapted with 32% shopping earlier uh, to anticipating out of stocks and 31% spent more searching for those items uh, that were in stock in other places. Compared to 2020, 22% use more frequently but those new services buy online, pick up and store, and 20% and use curbside uh, pickup. Those services are here to stay. In 2022, 19% uh, will shop in physical stores more, 51% the same, and 30% less. Again, the robustness of physical stores. How did consumers react to more limited promotion? 30% spent more uh, than they wanted to on the website to get free shipping. 28% uh, spent more time hunting the promotions and 23% only bought the items that were on promotion. Uh, why did consumers select specific retailers? Uh, and again, it gives you the power of, of the problem that is online, which is the logistics cost. 64% uh, were looking for free shipping. 57% uh, were looking for products to be in stock and 48% uh, because they had a previous positive experience with the retailer. Compared to 2020, uh, 45, and this surprised me, 45% made fewer returns, 29% about the same, and only 4% did more returns. Uh, shoppers say retailers can improve the following to get more people to shop online on their website. 43% uh, having the item in stock, 35% delivery speed, and 28% less website activity and advertised tracking. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of what was on the mind of consumers during the holiday season as they shopped online for planning in all future shopping holidays during the year. Um, switching topics, actually a, a friend of mine in California shared a story on Facebook that I found disturbing, but it's really at the heart of what we're talking about here at LPRC. So I want to share what exactly what I wrote. And this friend of mine who used to be work with Kroger and IBM in the past that said, remember the song, I left my heart in San Francisco. Think uh, they are going to need a new song. Very sad to see what is happening to that city and our state. And uh, what he cited actually is a bunch of store closures are taking place in San Francisco. CBS has, has identified six San Francisco stores closing in January. Walgreens to close five San Francisco stores due to increased retail theft. 
Gap is closing three stores in San Francisco, Embarcaro, Market Street at Stonestown, Lowe's to close, uh, two Bay Area stores, Demand performing, Marshalls to close, San Francisco store adding to Market Street, retail woes, H&M is closing its massive Union Square store, DSW in San Francisco, Union Square is permanently closing, and Uniglo is closing the, its flagship Union Square, Union Square store. Some of this is probably underperforming store, but I agree with my friend that it's sad to see the retail theft, the retail theft has also contributed to this because of the law changes in California. And all of us really need to continue to work together, including engaging with LPRC and how we attack uh, this problem much more uh, aggressively. And let me close this week. I did write an article already on my key takeaways, and I've, I titled it the top five innovation takeaways from NRF 2022 that I just published yesterday. As I wrote, attending 2022 in New York last week was surreal on multiple levels. Uh, three uh, three events that normally I go offside were either postponed, went online, or moved, including uh, 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 some of the ones that started on Saturday. Uh, we also had supply changes in the South that actually made it challenging didn't you get there. So karma was not in, with me in terms of getting there, but I, I did get there. And then the surprise was that multiple of the sessions that I attended had more people than I expected, yet the main show floor uh, on the top level was uh, eerily empty of major exhibitors. Much innovation inspiration was possible, however, by spending time in the busy innovation and startup zones in the lower level, which were, were packed most of the time. And as I said in my blog, turns out uh, fewer bo major booths and quality time with retailers more than offset initial COVID concerns. And NRF really did go a do good job. They used Clear to provide Green Pass so you could prove you were vaccinated. They provided COVID tests to increase safety and, and enforce masking all around. Uh, the big show uh, previously, I, thinking back, I think was gonna, getting actually too big and it was refreshing uh, to moderate transition to this new normal with this show and actually get a lot done. So uh, I, I do think the NRF show showed resiliency uh, and that resiliency is actually reflected by the fact that we went into NRF with record holiday sales, which were up 14.1%, easily beating the NRF forecast and setting a new record despite challenges from inflation, supply chains, and, and the ongoing uh, pandemic. As I said, the sessions that I went were packed. Um, and I really like the words, uh, which again speak to the retail res resiliency from the uh, Target CEO that opened the NRF 2022. And what he said is, quote, customers came out to shop. They were out physically shopping in our stores. They returned to shopping malls. They were engaged. They wanted uh, to be out. I enjoyed those everything that retail can provide. It gives me incredible optimism for the future. We feel more optimistic than we probably did six months ago about where we are, but we're leaving with COVID, so unquote. So uh, I think uh, NRF really did reflect that optimism. So what were the top five takeaways, innovation that I saw at NRF? Uh, number one, 
and I titled this one uh, uh, sarcastically, Artificial Intelligence is So Yesterday. AI, were, and really that was the opposite. AI was everywhere mentioned in both presentation and also in many uh, of the uh, booths that were present. As I recently sun summarized for a publication in my predictions for 2022, if you have AI only on your roadmap, you are already behind. You really need to get active into AI. Uh, Jim Roddy from RSPA summarized it best. He said the top technology discussed the show was AI in a landslide. The applications vary, uh, but software analytics and insights based on AI were the tip on every single vendor's page. So I fully agree, and the good news, LPRC is heavily engaged in this area. Number two innovation trend, those cameras do have big eyes. In 2021, we crossed over a billion cameras installed in the world. Those, uh, the evolution of the camera into AI-driven computer vision was prevalent all over NRF, and you can see it in applications from managing self-checkout transaction uh, with members that actually are out of the LPRC uh, to 3D cameras being installed on robots to actually miraculously pick products inside distribution centers. Number three, those robots just keep on coming. From taking inventory using multiple RFID readers to automating your warehouse, small parcel pickup lockers to delivering your goods to a home near you, more robots are indeed coming. In fact, they had a, a minivan that actually uh, right now is a driven minivan that brings their store to you, but they're working on making it autonomous. Uh, number uh, four, at retailers at the center of innovation. Again, a trend that I saw in the past, but it's accelerating. Major retailers are directly investing in startup. Um, uh, and actually, there's two that I cited. One is a company called Gatic that is actually working on autonomous delivery uh, for uh, goods, so autonomous trucks, and they're testing it in Arkansas. Another example is a, is a company that called Drone, Drone Up that is, again, being tested in Arkansas for delivering uh, really your products via drone. And, uh, and what they say is Walmart is launching three full-time drone airports for demand delivery solutions and uh, the first operation has already taken flight uh, at a Walmart neighborhood market in Farmington, Arkansas. And finally, my fifth trend, the store as a, a digital, in the smart integrated uh, uh, canvas. And this talks to exactly what we just talked about in terms of the greater focus on integration. I'm seeing a lot more of that, even at this show, in terms of vendors integrating different solutions and even non-traditional technology players making it easier, and that's an area we're going to spend more time. Uh, the bottom line from NRF 2022 is uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the productivity of the big show. Um, I, I did identify multiple other trends, but those were my big five. There's a lot of good stuff going on. They even had a live Amazon Go in there. They talked about China. They talked about virtual try-ons. Uh, you're going to start seeing more LIDAR inside stores, and I saw multiple potential applications for that. And then finally, I do think NRF uh, 2022 was a good indicator that we got to start learning to live with COVID. Uh, COVID is here to stay, and it will become, as I said again in another prediction for 2022, we'll probably transition 
to endemic. So we either get busy living and continue to take uh, um, measured risk and really measured risk, uh, precautions. So really uh, mitigate risks. And we need to stop worrying about dying and, and live because as the target CEO, I do see a lot of good optimism up front, but we got to leverage and really go on the attack going forward. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Reed. Great information as always. Just wanted to cover a, a couple of topics, and yes, some of them are repetitive, and I think that's typical of the cybersecurity and risk space. It is tax time, so what we're seeing is a tremendous amount of tax scams coming up, emails, text messages, voicemails, uh, around trying to get personal information, and some of them are very simplistically uh, being approached where you have someone making a phone call saying they're from the IRS and giving some personal information and asking them to verify more personal information and they basically go down a gamut to try to keep generating that information. Can you confirm your the last four of your social security number? Great, your address. All right, do you mind just giving me um, your full social security number to make sure that it's right? But the tax scams are here, a lot of emails. Um, uh, most of the, you know, the, the major publications around cybersecurity have talked about them. Naked Security did a really good overview on tax saving and, you know, it, the, the, the message is if you, you know, don't click it if you're not expecting it and don't give your information out to anybody unless you're initiating the conversation. And that doesn't mean you're re- returning a call. So one of the tricky scams that, that social engineers are doing with this is they give them a number. They say, give, if you don't, hey, I'm definitely from the IRS. Here's my number. Give me a call back. They call, they get an operator, it feels like the IRS, and then they go through, great, you verified that I am who I say I am. I've got to get some information from you. Sounds simplistic, right? We talk about these scams all the time, but the reality is taxes are high stress for people. And sometimes people owe money, sometimes people uh, are late filing, sometimes people are working through challenges, especially with the pandemic. So I think you're going to see more of these uh, popping up, as well as you know, taking the, the time to Google search doing taxes online, make sure that you're on a reputable firm and you're not punching information and that you're using a computer that's as protected as it can be. Um, absolutely think, think that that's great. Another thing out of Russia, uh, a, a very large credit card syndicate and fraud syndic was arrest, arrested. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty pretty interesting uh, case because this syndicate was real. Um, they're a gang of masterminds. Uh, they're under arrest in Russia. This is not typically what you see. And this is in fraud we trust. Uh, cybercrime.org um, you know, was what you saw. The, the, the listing, if you read about this, the Department of Justice was involved. And this is what they're, what they're estimating is $500 million dollars in actual losses. Uh, and the name of this group is in Fraud We Trust. They're responsible for more, they think, than 500 million, actually. They can prove 500 million. They actually believe it's closer to $2 billion. So huge, huge uh, case. The case dates back um, to 2018. And this is a great victory. It, it absolutely is a good victory for all of us in this call because it shows that federal law enforcement, international federal law enforcement, is working through cases that I think in the past would be somewhat victimless. So these are groups that steal information through data breaches and, and resell card numbers online. Very, very um, prolific group and a really 
great win for all of us in the fraud world. Um, I think there were 36 folks that were indicted. Um, obviously, there's more to come on where they're going to be extradited to, how this works. But this is kind of the theme that we're seeing. The U.S. government is really taking an aggressive approach to let online fraudsters know that if you defraud people in the United States or the United States government, they're coming for you. And this is great because in the past, these crimes not only were victimless, but they were very tough to, to challenge. And we've seen with ransomware, we've seen with some of these cases that the government is taking a heightened approach and the Department of Justice has actually said, we're going to treat these investigations with the same level of that we would um, to terrorists and really, really pushing. So this is great news for us. And I think that uh, it, it's a, t- a time are changing in this space and we'll continue to see this coming. Lastly, in the international front, the Department of Homeland Security has issued a statement on fears of Russia and cyber attacks against uh, the Ukraine and other allies. So I'm sure all of us are following kind of uh, what's occurring outside the U.S. right now in the Ukraine. There's 127,000 Russian troops on the border. Um, and there is the Russian Navy fleet is uh, approaching under in, in the Black Sea. I mean, there's a real lot going on outside the United States now. And one of the things that the Department of, of Homeland Security is warning is that you, the U.S. could really uh, be involved um, in, in a cyber attack or cyber warfare. Uh, and it really goes both ways, right? So it could be something that we as the U.S. use as a tool or vice versa. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. The thing about the Ukraine situation that's very interesting, and if you're not in the manufacturing space um, or deal in global business and may not be um, aware of, is that the majority of items that go to Central Europe um, and you know parts of other parts of Europe as well, from components from China go by rail to Central Europe, and they actually go through Russia and. While they're north of the Ukraine, they're very close to that. So uh, I'm definitely keeping an eye on the potential supply chain disruptions in Europe. And, you know, I think that all of us could see effects with this. Um, I read a a really, really good intelligence report this morning on this, and there were some key takeaways from that report. One is that uh, a lot of the intelligence experts and analysts, I am not in this space, but I do follow it fairly well. I'm, I'm more US, focused on the United States, um, but have a lot of great contacts in this space, are saying that in order for Russia to effectively invade the Ukraine, they would need more like 300,000 troops. Um, there's only 127,000. 127,000 is definitely a big number. The other thing that was the that I read in, in one of these reports, and this is unclassified and, and it's open and, and out there, is that uh, the Russian troops, the 127,000 troops, there aren't medical, um, there aren't a lot of medical deployments there or um, these pop-up hospitals. So it's not likely that until they came that there'd actually be there. And then the last piece, and this is kind of a geopolitical piece, is that you know, the Olympics are in Beijing this year, right? They're in China. And um, one of the things I would say is the Chinese government, who is an ally with Russia, clearly doesn't want any distraction from the Olympics right now. So if there, in fact, was an event that occurred, there's a high likelihood that that event would occur after February 20th, based on all of the intelligence reports. So while we won't spend a lot of time here on the podcast, I will continue to give updates and because I do think there's implications for all of us, both in the stock market and the supply chain world. 
Um, but I definitely will keep everybody up to speed as well as the potential for civil unrest in certain markets. Um, while those are certainly not likely, one of the things I do think that we will see and will experience is an increase in cyber attacks uh, from that region to the U.S. and to other countries. And I think that's something that we'll definitely keep our pulse on. With that, I'm going to turn it back over to Reed. All right. Well, thank you both, uh, Tony and Tom, for all that insight. Um, a lot to think about, a lot to do. And um, stay tuned. I mean, we uh, a major theme we went through at the 2022 LPRC kickoff uh, conference or summit or meeting that you heard Tony reference uh, earlier um, was a little bit around the, the the root causes of some of these issues that we're seeing, uh, where we might be seeing greater frequency of these events. Uh, they seem to be more blatant uh, and more uh, impactful in a negative way as well. And so the, the, some of the root causes we looked at were erosion of consequences, or not as much downside risk for criminal offending. Um, consequences are always there for those of us, our places and people that are crime victims have consequences for us, uh, but for those that are victimizing others, that are harming others, that are, creating, that are committing these crimes, not always so much uh, as far as consequences. And therein lies a big problem if there's not much downside. And, you know, we're sort of rational choice people here uh, on our criminology team. And uh, while there's not this very neat, careful calculus of upside and downside by a would-be offender uh, before or during their offense, um, there is that calculus that underlies uh, that, you know, what am I going to get and how bad could it be? They may over underestimate all the above and more, but uh, that's part of it. But if we do know that if there's just no certainty or severity of consequence for an offender, for somebody that harms another or a place, uh, we've got a real problem on our hands. And that's to a certain extent where we are today with lower numbers of law enforcement with highly reluctant prosecutors in certain select areas that are refusing to prosecute uh, or downgrading. Uh, we even heard in one area up in New York City in Manhattan, evidently the, the DA newly elected who came out point blank to his uh, assistant DA saying, even if somebody robs uh, a place or a person at gunpoint, if no harm uh, occurs from that, then we're gonna charge as a misdemeanor. And you know, we're trying to sort out, is this accurate? Where did this come from? <clears throat> but what harm is in the higher eye of the holder? And we know that having a gun or a knife or another deadly instrument uh, waved in our face or pointed at us with the threat that you're, I'm going to kill you, that can result in permanent traumatic or psychological harm. So um, we're, you know, we're all trying to figure out why there are lower consequences out there for offenders and what can we do to reinstitute some of that. <clears throat> and and we, we hear about mass incarceration, but typically incarceration follows um, offending. And so there's mass offending or, or harm going on. That's why if there are a lot of people that are incarcerated, that's by and large why they're there. So what are, what are <clears throat> research um, tasks that we can take on to better inform and to better evaluate and assess uh, the best ways to do these things? Um, and there are a lot of good people, a lot of good scientists working on that today. The other, the other side of the equation we talked about, by the way, was uh, <clears throat> seems to be a lot more easier upside through online selling platforms. And we found, we saw yesterday, for instance, it was announced in the, the state of Florida's legislature, and I, I understand others are working on this, as well as at the federal level, <clears throat> that anybody that uh, sells online uh, as a third party 
would need to fully identify themselves, physical address, and so on, so that there can be some provenance or background done to make sure that this is not a fence um, that's dealing in stolen, counterfeit, or altered goods, what we call SCAG. So stay tuned, um, but appreciate all the 45 people that were able to make it to LPRC impact, I'm sorry, LPRC kickoff um, hosted by Axis at their amazing uh, uh, experience center in, in New York City. It was just amazing uh, venue. And then we had others that joined online. Um, we had record enrollment going into this until Omicron. So everybody stay safe out there. Thank you so much. Thanks to Tom, to Diego, to Tony, and to all of you all. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.